Good morning. This is Pastor Mike with ChristLives.org. Today we continue our series of sermons in the final countdown, a series that we started about two and a half months ago and we still have much left to cover. Today our lesson comes from the book of Revelation chapter 10 verses 1 through 11. I've entitled it The Beginning of the End. We're, we are in another one of the parenthetical passages in Revelation. If you will remember, we encountered one of these between the sixth and the seventh seals. Now we encounter one between the sixth and seventh trumpets. There are several reasons why I believe the Lord gives us these pauses in action. One reason is to give the reader a break. We've been studying terrible scenes of tragedy and death. He gives us these pauses to allow us to regroup and gather our emotions. These pauses allow the Lord to give us words of encouragement and comfort. Let's read from the Word of God. If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. Yeah, the entire chapter. The angel and the little scroll. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was clothed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun and his legs like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write. I heard a voice from heaven say, Seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it, and said, There will be no more delay, but the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more, Go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, Take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. You know, another reason I think God gives us his parenthetical pause, he does this to show everyone who is truly in control. As you read about the horrors of the tribulation period, you might conclude that sin and Satan are in control. But God steps in to remind us that he is still the sovereign God of the universe. God wants us to know that regardless of how dark the hour becomes, in spite of what the devil and his crowd might do, God is still on his throne and he is still in control of all things. These pauses also serve to focus our attention on the blessed Lamb of God. In the midst of his wrath, we desperately need to be reminded of his great power. You see, there's one fundamental problem with the world today. The world leaves Jesus out of its calculations and plans. In ancient times, astronomers like Aristotle believed that the earth was the center of the universe. 
It wasn't until Nicholas Copernicus and Johannes Kepler discovered that the sun was in the center of the solar system and all other things revolved around it that everything began to fall into place and make sense. The world has cut Jesus, the sun, out of the picture and they have replaced him with the United Nations and other faulty man-made institutions. The result has been total chaos. The result today with the United Nations is still total chaos. When Jesus is restored as the focal point of mankind's attention, then all things will make sense and fall into place. That is what God is up to here. This will also work in an individual's life as well. You know, the passage introduces the middle of the tribulation period. It also serves to place Jesus back on center stage. Let's notice what is taking place on earth. Let's look at the vision that John saw. In verses 1 through 3, John sees a mighty angel descending from heaven. We're not given the identity of this angel. I've heard some ministers and commentators believe, say that they believe it is Gabriel, the archangel. Others vote for Michael. You know, we simply do not know. However, if you'll allow me, I'm going to suggest that this angel is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And no, I'm not saying the Lord Jesus Christ is an angel, but they're often referred to, the deities are often referred to as angels in the Bible. I will give you several moments, several reasons for this in a moment. As you may remember, Jesus showed up in the Old Testament all the time. These pre-Bethlehem appearances are often called theophanies. See, Jesus appeared to Abraham at his tent door. Jesus appeared to Joshua outside Jericho. Jesus met with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. Jesus helped Daniel in the lion's den. If he could show up then, there's no reason to believe that he could not do the same thing in these verses. In fact, as these verses are studied, all the evidence points to the fact that this is none other than Jesus Christ himself. Let's look at the evidence of this together. First of all, theophanies of God as he reveals himself to a person. It's also called a manifestation of deity in some sort of sensible form. The word theophany is a combination of two Greek words, meaning God and appearance. A theophany is an appearance of God. So, as we look where Christ appears in the Old Testament, it's still nothing more than pointing to Christ in the New Testament. If somebody tells you that the Old Testament is no longer valid, I suggest that they rethink their theology. Yes, the doctrine of the Old Testament was fulfilled when Christ died on the cross and arose from the dead. However, all throughout the Old Testament, it continues to point its way to the New Testament and to Jesus Christ. So as Jesus made these appearances, let's look at his dwelling place. This angel comes down from the very place where Jesus Christ dwells. In John 3.13, it says, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Jesus Christ is in heaven today, seated at the Father's right hand, making intercession for you and me. We're told of his description. There's several key descriptive phrases that are used to illustrate this angel's appearance. One, he's clothed with a cloud. The cloud is a garment of deity. 
Look at Psalms 104, verse 3. It says, Who layeth the beams of his chambers in the water? Who maketh the clouds his chariot? Who walketh upon the wings of the wind? In the Old Testament, during the wilderness gatherings and wanderings, the Lord himself led his people with a glory cloud through the trackless desert. He was with them to guide them and to guard them then. Here in the darkest days that the earth will see, he is still with his people to protect them and lead them. Dark clouds covered Sinai when Moses received the law. God clothed himself in a glory cloud when he met Moses on the mountain. Exodus 24, 34. When Jesus ascended back to heaven, a cloud received him. Look at Acts 1, 9. When he returns, he will do so in the clouds. Revelation 1, 7. He is clothed with a cloud. He has a rainbow upon his head. The rainbow is a symbol of the mercy and faithfulness of God. It first appears in Genesis 9 after the flood to guarantee the Lord's promise that he would never destroy the earth with water again. It is a symbol of his faithfulness. It also appears in Revelation 4 when the throne of God is surrounded with an emerald rainbow. Here it is a symbol of his mercy. So the Lord comes as the faithful one and as the merciful one. What a blessing it is to know that even in the midst of his wrath, the Lord remembers mercy. His face shines like the sun. This is a description of his glory. When Jesus walked the dusty roads of the world, he appeared to be an ordinary man, so ordinary that he did not stand out as anyone special by his appearance alone. He concealed his heavenly fame with his earthly frame. However, there's one occasion when his glory came out. One of these is that the glory that was on the inside became visible on the outside. And Matthew 17 verses 1 through 8 tells us that Jesus outshone the sun. When Saul of Tarsus met him on the road to Damascus, Jesus was brighter than the noonday sun. By the way, men love darkness, but when light shines on their sins, they are brought to their knees before the glorious Lamb of God. His feet are like pillars of fire. This is a picture of his judgment. When Jesus comes, he's not coming as the Savior. He's coming back as the sovereign Lord of the universe. He's coming to execute judgment on all those who have rejected him. The word pillars also brings to mind images of firmness, stability, and strength. We are looking at a God who is rock steady and able to carry through with his mission. He's going to judge this world, the sinners in the world, and Satan himself, and no being will be able to prevent him from doing what he intends to do. We're told of his dominion. Here's a wonderful picture of our Lord. He's standing with one foot on the land, one foot on the sea, and has a little book in his hand. This is a picture of his dominion over the entire world. You know, in ancient times, when a person was going to take dominion or replace a person, he put his foot on it. When God gave Canaan to Israel, he said, Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that I have given you, as I said unto Moses. When one king would conquer another king, he would place his foot on the defeated king's back as a symbol of total domination. We're also told that he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. It is said that the roaring of a lion can strike fear into the bravest heart. An adult male lion's roar can be heard as far as five miles away. 
Lions usually roar just after sunset. They do so to proclaim a place as their territory. That's what we're seeing in these verses. The Lord is staking his claim and he is saying, I am the lion of the tribe of Judah. This world is my world. Keep your hands off what belongs to me. That's what we see here. We see the victorious Jesus laying claim to the planet Earth. He holds in his hand the book, which is the title deed to this planet. We talked about that early on as we began our studies about the title to planet Earth. He stands with one foot on the dry land and another on the sea. See, Jesus has come to take control of this world. He's come to take over. Let the word and the devil do what they will. Our Lord reigns today, and he will forever. This truth will become increasingly clearer as the end draws near. Let's look at the voices that John heard. There were voices of mystery. John hears seven thunders speaking. Apparently, they spoke a language John could understand, and he got ready to write down what they were saying. But the Lord stopped him and told John to seal up those things which he heard the thunder say. What did they say? I don't know. Neither does anyone else. They proclaim that they do. They're not telling you the truth. Why write about it if we're not told what they say? God has some things he wants to keep concealed for the time being. Paul writes of a time when he was called up into the third heaven. He was taken into the very presence of God, and he was not allowed to write about it. The reason God puts this here, I think, is very simple. He wants to teach us a very valuable lesson. He wants us to know there are some things in life that are going to remain a mystery. If you look at Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, verse says, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. You know, there are thousands of questions in life for which you and I don't have answers. Why do good people suffer? Why do babies get sick and die? Why is there so much evil in our world? Why is living holy so hard? We'll never have the answers to these and 10,000 other questions on this side of heaven. The best thing we can do is leave the mysteries with the Lord and trust him to do right and be strong in our faith. Right now we're looking at the carpet of life from the bottom and it looks like a tangled mess of threads. One day, we will be allowed to look at the carpet from the top. It will make sense then. Now, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, he said, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as I am known. That verse speaks a lot of different things to a lot of different people in a lot of different circumstances. That's the miracle of the Word of God. It can speak to our heart when we need it the most and when we're searching for something the most. If you look at the voices, again, they're voices of manifestation. See, while the voices of the thunders remain a mystery, the next voice John hears brings a message that is crystal clear. The person John saw lifts his holy hands and makes a tremendous promise. He tells John that the day of waiting is finished. God is preparing to consummate his work and complete his word. God is preparing to bring his work of judgment and redemption to an end. You know, in case you've forgotten, God doesn't operate like we do. 
His timetable is vastly different from ours. You know, we think that we're in a period of delay. We think that things are moving so slowly. We think God will never fulfill all the promises he's made. Well, we're wrong. God wears a different kind of timepiece than we do. You see, it appears that sin and Satan are winning the battle. The truth is far different. You know, when I was a young boy growing up in East Tennessee, oh, come on now, so don't tell me you can hear that in my voice. You know, I have a PhD and a couple of master's degrees. I was partially educated in London, but you don't hear a British accent. You hear my native East Tennessee accent, and I'm proud of it. Anyway, we didn't have an Xbox or PlayStation or cell phones. We played outside. We played ball. Anyway, some of the boys were out playing baseball. A fellow was riding by and stopped to watch the fellows play for a little bit. He looked over and said to one of them, he said, Son, how's your team going? doing? He said, well, we're not doing so good. The man said, well, what's the score, son? He said, man, they're beating us 23 to nothing. He said, boy, that is bad. That is bad, son. That's just real bad. And boy looked at him and smiled and said, oh, yes, sir. Well, it's not too bad. We ain't got into bats yet. Listen, the devil's up to bat right now, but one of these days, God's half of the inning is going to come up, and there will be no more delay. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. I like that. You know, according to God's calendar, Jesus has only been gone two days. Soon, God is going to turn that page, tell Gabriel to blow his trumpet, and Jesus will return for his church. Then God will judge the earth, sin, and the devil, and usher in eternity. It won't be long now. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's look at the volume that John took. See, John's told to take the little book out of the hand of the angel. He's told to eat it, but he's warned that the book will be sweet in his mouth and bitter in his stomach. John does as he's told, and he finds the word of the angel are true. The book was as sweet as honey to his mouth, but as bitter in his belly. Then John was told he's asked to take the message as is and share with others who need to hear. This is a strange little section of scripture. You know, it does, however, teach a couple of lessons about the word of God that we need to hear today. You know, the word of God is to be swallowed. The Bible is spiritual food. Jesus said, but he answered and said, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. And Jeremiah said, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. That's in Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16. Job said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. It's Job chapter 23, verse 12. Now Peter said, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. That's first Peter chapter 1, verse 22. You know, there's something special about this book. It's food for the hungry soul. It's a bomb for the hurting soul. It's meat for the growing soul. If we are to be all that God wants us to be, and then we are to get in the book and feed, we are to linger there, graze there. We're told to drink deeply 
of its words so that our souls can grow in the strong in the things of the Lord. We must get into the Bible for ourselves every day. Are you feeding in the green pastures this word as you should? Remember, you are what you eat. You know, when John swallowed the book, he found it was both a blessing and a burden. It was sweet, it was bitter at the same time. The sweetness of this book can be found in this passages about the grace, love, and the mercy of our God. When we read of Jesus dying for our sins and rising from the dead, it's very sweet. When we read of heaven, it's also sweet. When we read that he will meet our needs, never leave us, and come to take us home someday, that is also sweet. When a sinner reads that Jesus will save him, if he will only come to Jesus by faith, that is sweeter than words can describe. It's a book filled with sweetness. But you see, this is also a book filled with bitterness. The book tells us that a hell awaits all the lost. It is this book that the Spirit of God uses to convict the hearts of saints and sinners alike of sin. This book tells us of judgment, wrath, and damnation. It is a bitter book, bitter book. You know, sometimes I read my Bible and I'm thrilled and, and blessed and helped. Such words of encouragement that cross my soul, my, my heart at the same time. You know, other times I read it and sometimes I often brought to tears over something that's revealed in my life. You now it's a bittersweet book. Now preachers aren't perfect. Regardless of what some of them will tell you, we aren't perfect. We just go to seminary and we learn how to teach the Word of God. And we learn what's there and we preach the words that God lays on our heart. All preachers are still sinners. That's a bittersweet emotion for some of us. But that as it may, when we take the whole book, the bitter and the sweet, the blessings and the burdens, we're able to say that it fits together so well. It reveals our problems. It always points us in the right solution. Praise the Lord for the Word of God. The Word of God is to be shared. John was told to share the message of the book with others. You know, this same burden has been placed on our shoulders today. We are to take this book with both its blessings and its burdens, and we are to share its message with a lost and dying world. Look at Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. Look at Mark 16, verse 15. God did not give us his word for our benefit only. He gave us this word to share with the world. Let us go forth with the word of God in our hearts and on our lips and tell a lost soul so that Jesus saved. Jesus saves. You know, when we leave this chapter behind, we're going to enter a time of tragedy like we have never seen before. Thank God that he's given us this fresh glimpse of his son. You know, thank God that he's reminded us that he's in control. Thank God that he has reminded us of the importance of his word. Do you have any needs today? Do you need to be saved? Do you need to come home to the Father? Do, do you need to come and commit to reading your Bible and sharing the message of Jesus like you should? If there are needs, I ask you to come now. I'd ask you to bow your head if you can and pray with me. If you can't and you're behind the wheel of your car, 
Like I've said many times, God has heard me so many times from behind the wheel of my car. Bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this lesson today from your word. God, we know that you turn this thermostat of this world and all the events that will occur, all the events that have occurred, everything is in accordance with your will. Father, there are some out there in the sound of my voice that have not accepted Jesus. Father, I ask you that you will touch their heart right now. You will help them know the glory of God and what it's like to have the Holy Spirit live inside you. Father, if there are those out there that, you know, maybe they're saved, maybe they haven't been living a Christian life, Father, I ask you to touch them and, and give them the need on their burden on their heart that they will continue to study your word and be steadfast in it and tell this word of yours to everyone that they can. The time is growing short, Lord. We need, we need more Christians to go out and preach the word. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for his death on the cross. Father, I just ask that you be with all of us as the days come forward. This prayer we ask in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen. If any of you made a decision today, I'd like to know about it. We get more and more emails contact from our site so if you would please take a moment to send an email to ministry at christ-lives.org ministry at christ-lives.org or visit our webpage http colon forward slash forward slash www.christ-lives.org you also find other sermons from the final countdown at that location Thank you so much for listening today. May God bless you and keep you. Amen.